Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Welcome, everyone. Good to see all your faces here. Um, we'll be in Acts chapter 4 today. Does anyone recall what we went through last week in Acts chapter 3 or anything leading up through the first three chapters so far? For those who have been here. I know chapter 3 was jam-packed with um, a lot of good stuff that we talked about last week. Um, but one thing in particular was, um, since I have it up, uh, um, we talked about where the God had listed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of our fathers, all did um, glorifying Jesus, but then also like was quick to turn it around and said, you hand him over to be killed and disowned, but you did all these good things, and then there still was that cutthroat thing that you did quickly right after. So it was we it was a lot to unpack, but I liked it where we were last week. Yeah. Chapter three. Peter was like heading to the temple and he healed um, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Was it a crippled man? Yes. Talked about the name, the power in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, they were talking about um, how faith in the name of Jesus is what heals a man. Not not even just faith in Jesus, but faith in the name of Jesus is what healed what healed a man. And look at what's so powerful about the name, the name of Jesus. Um, yeah, Peter Peter um, healed the crippled beggar through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and and then Peter took the opportunity to preach in the temple when there were all these witnesses of the miracle. He he you know used all the people that were there to be able to use that opportunity to to preach the gospel. Um, and then he really kind of you know, didn't hold back. He was very bold and and kind of told him straight up, like, you guys are the ones who rejected him. You guys are the ones who, you know, turned him into the, um, you know, to, to be crucified. And, like, you guys rejected him. And, and then we saw uh, him give them the opportunity to repent. And that's kind of where we leave off. So... We're going to pick up from verse, well, chapter 4, verse 1. Anybody want to read? Let's go through, let's go through 11. Somebody want to take 1 through 11? I got it. Go for it. The priests and the captain of the temple guard in the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest, Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Awesome. What are you guys' thoughts and observations first? Before we get into anything. Anything stand out to you? That last verse, I like the last verse, 11. Um, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Yeah. Peter could have just simply answered the question with Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. But no. We had to have this whole thing. But wait, yeah. there's more. Yeah. <laughs> Peter going to jail again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. I think it's interesting how he's pointing out, like, we're being questioned because of a good deed. Like, mm. he threw us in jail and are questioning us because this man was healed. Like, doesn't that sound a little bit weird? <laughs> Yeah, you're like going to the doctor for some ailment, and he heals you, and then let's throw the doctor in jail. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I wonder who's counting. He's like, yeah, so the man who got saved is a 5,000. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Counting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got tasked for counting yep. that. And it says total of 5,000, not counting the women and children, which a lot of times that doesn't. Like when you know, it talks about the miracle of you know the, the fish and the loaves going to these two occasions, the 3,000 and the 5,000. Um, you know, it doesn't ever include the women and children, that's just like the men. So it's like 5,000 men plus, then you can factor, okay, they all have a wife, most of them have a wife, plus some kids, so you're like 15 plus thousand people. Um, so that could be the very, that could be the case here too. It could be about 15,000, but um, 5,000 men uh, saved right now. Yeah, I like, you know, you guys brought up the, a good point that they asked the question, by whose power or in whose name have you done this? You didn't give them the answer. Um, but his response is, is very similar to how Jesus answered questions. When, when people asked him like any question, Jesus wouldn't just be like, oh, here's the answer. Usually his answer would be, well, here's a question. Now let me say something else. Let me tell you some truth to go against what you're trying to claim or or uh, what's the word? Imply. Yeah, imply, yeah. exactly. So they're like, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Which really is kind of the same question, but by what power or in whose name have you done this? They could have just said, by the power of the Holy Spirit or in the name of Jesus. Either one of those would have been really the answer to their question. But instead, and it doesn't just say, then Peter said, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So he's got the Holy Spirit living within him, so he's got this boldness, this, you know, way of just answering the question in a way that Jesus would answer the question. Yeah, and then are we being questioned today for doing a good deed for a crippled man? And like then he says, it is by the name of Jesus whom you crucified. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like, yeah, that man that you was murdered, it yeah. is through his name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's not afraid to hold back. So I like how Peter has the same boldness as Jesus. Like, like I'm assuming, like at this time, these people might have 
seen Jesus before, maybe do a sermon or talk in the streets, or at one point has seen Jesus like the Pharisees, these high priests at one point maybe seen him, so they know how Jesus spoke. So noting that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, notes that this is Jesus inside him, and the way Peter is speaking boldly, and like not like, I forgot what verse it was in one of the, uh, the Gospels, but it talks about how like, he has the authority, like he, like Jesus didn't speak with just speaking, he wasn't just talking, he spoke with like absolute authority that he was a teacher. I think that's how Peter is talking now. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to Judaism, there are basically two schools of thought um, on whether or not there will be a resurrection. Um, the Pharisees believed in a res- resurrection, the Sadducees did not. So when it says in verse 2, the Sadducees are greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They're especially mad, not just mm-hmm. because it's Jesus, but because resurrection isn't a thing. It's not, uh, they don't believe in it. So when it comes to that kind of, um, that, that's something to pay attention to in context because it'll come into play later too, um, where Paul actually uses it against them to get them to start arguing with each other and let them go. <laughs> it's a pretty great, great time. That's a, it's a good observation, a good, good comment on that. Side this, the one of the ones that was in the room that like gathered him was also the high priest that plotted against arresting Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like he knew exactly who they were doing this for. Like it, it was Jesus. Yeah. So it's like, why even ask? Yeah. It's like he was the exact same one. Yeah. That plotted against Jesus. Good connection there. Look how many people, look how many different groups and individuals were there opposing the followers of Jesus here. Starting in verse, well, it's really one through six, but let's try to count how many people. Uh, While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, captain of the temple guard, Sadducees. Uh, leaders were disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them since they since it was evening. They put them in jail till morning. Many of them already heard the message. Over 5,000 people. The next day the council of all the rulers and elders um, of religious laws in Jerusalem um, Ananias? Ananias. Ananias? Ananias. The high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and relatives of the high priests. I'm counting at least nine different, you know, we got priests, Sadducees, rulers, elders, scribes, and other forms and members of the high priest. All these different people and and people groups, all there opposing John and Peter. I bet there's at least 30 people. And and representing a lot of different areas of leadership and, and, and rulers. So at this point in time, you know, this is the start of Christianity, the start of the church. Um, you know, just now they're going from about 3,000 to about 5,000 men, people um, as believers. So it's it's not it's growing, but all in all, it's 
pretty weak at this point. Uh, they're few in numbers. There's, there's really, they're, they're just starting to kind of get some leadership. John and Peter and some of the disciples just starting to, you know, getting a little experience in leadership. They're commanded not to fight. They're not a militant group, you know, just like Jesus. He wasn't a, uh, this military messiah, right? And Jesus told them, you know, like, th this isn't a, a war. This isn't, you know, he didn't come to deliver them in the way that they expected to be. And they're, they're opposed by all these, you know, institutions, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, that have existed for hundreds of years, following the, the Torah, following the, the law of Moses, and now they're going against this, and those people are going against them. So they got a lot going against them right now. But despite the opposition against the gospel, the number of Christians kept increasing, growing from 3,000 to 5,000 at this point in time, just from, from Acts you know, 2 to here, uh, went from 3,000 to 5,000. And the opposition didn't slow down the church. It continued to grow. And if you look at verse 4, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not, including, not counting the women and children. So we see that the intimidation wasn't at all effective. In fact, it was ineffective. More people started following Jesus, not less. It didn't go from 5,000 to 3,000, or from 3,000 to 1,000. People weren't backing away. Their intimidation wasn't working. It was actually continuing to grow. Found this found this line that I really like. In the Western world, Christians rarely face persecution. Satan instead has attacked us with worldliness, selfish pride, a need for acceptance and status. The martyr can impress unbelievers with his courage and faith. Then the self-centered, compromising Christian is despised by the world. Any other thoughts, comments? Observations. When he says Jesus is the uh, the cornerstone part, mm -hmm. and it's just from like Psalms one eighteen twenty two. I just want to be like, what if that's like talking about a half? I mean, to me that makes that makes no sense. Like I try to like it always there's a common theme, like all the Pharisees apparently they're supposed to know everything in the Torah, like they've read this thing back to front, they study it like this is their job. Mm -hmm. But then like they're clearly missing how Jesus is in the Torah. Yeah. But like we do the same thing with twisting it ourselves but I was like well maybe that's like where you brought that up I don't know so I brought, looked it up with like the yeah, verse before yeah but the verse before I just like he says um, or I'll do the first the two before this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter I will give you thanks for you answered me and you have become my salvation the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes the Lord has done it done it this very day let us rejoice today and be glad i think that was really i think that like was talking exactly like jesus because even jesus says he is the way to heaven mm -hmm. so he is that gate and we're he also is that cornerstone okay. what's a cornerstone i looked it up yeah mm -hmm. uh there's two main different main definitions a stone that forms the base of a corner of a building okay. joining two walls an important quality or feature on which a particular thing depends on 
or is based on, and then biblical terms, chief foundation stone of the church being Jesus. So the cornerstone is the first stone that gets laid to a building, mm-hmm. and it has to be a perfect right angle. And so that's why it's important, because the entire rest of that wall, and then the two walls after it, which make the entire house, have to run straight, otherwise the whole house is going to be off. So it's like, that's the importance of like the cornerstone, because it has to be exactly straight and true, otherwise it doesn't work. Yep. It, it determines the rest of the whole project. Yeah. You don't have the cornerstone, or if the cornerstone cornerstone isn't properly placed, or if it's weak, or if it's flawed, if it's has a crack in it already, the whole house will come falling down. But the cornerstone, you know, they're saying they rejected the cornerstone. The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Jesus being the stone in this analogy here, the stone that you builders rejected, the builders. That's the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the people of religious law. They rejected the stone that is the quintessential, I don't to use that word, sounding great to me. Nice. The quintessential stone in, in this whole house, right? The house of God, the, the house of salvation. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, verse 8. Does anything stand out to anyone? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. What about it? That it was the Holy Spirit who, who, I guess, empowered Peter to say these things and, I guess, gave him, like he was speaking the Word of God with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just Peter had some cool theology or ideology to him that he thought maybe this is how God interprets this. He did not. It was the Holy Spirit spoke this is the word of God. Mm-hmm. This isn't Peter's diary. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like, um, what Jesus came to do, it's being, it's being displayed. He, when he got crucified, he went up, the Holy Spirit came down, so now we're seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing as he comes down, mm-hmm. giving, giving the power to Peter. Yeah. When, when have we seen people filled with the Holy Spirit before at this point in time. Christ. looked at the uh, Strong's Concordance where that word filled where it deals with the Spirit. Um, we see it with in Luke um, Zacharias and Elizabeth the parents of John the Baptist they are filled with the Holy Spirit when they start like prophesying It's also used when talking about um, when, like, Paul is getting converted. They like he says, "Like, I'm going to make you able to see." And they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then when he gets his new name, he is able to see. So it's like he has this name, and he's full of the Spirit. Um, and then the uh, the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down for the first time, mm-hmm. that same phrase. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just uh, when we were in Acts chapter 1, or was it chapter 2? No, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, day of Pentecost. That's when we we see the Holy Spirit come 
and we see people filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see that again here in, in uh, verse 8. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, where am I at? Four, eight. And in verse 8, we see that it's something that God wanted to continue doing in their lives. So it's not just a, a one-and-done kind of a thing. It's not just, okay, you were filled with the Holy Spirit once. All right, this is good enough. It's No, this is a continual thing, and we can see that here already. You know, it already happened, you know, just you know, days prior, and now we have again Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a uh, a continual thing or a specific thing. Like, do you think Peter spoke that way because he was already just like full of the Spirit all the time, or maybe God was specifically filling him hmm. with the Spirit to say that in that moment? It's a good question. I think there might be an answer because I wanted to what you thought about um, Paul. Yeah, Paul, he was receiving the Holy Spirit, and it was in. Acts chapter 1, I wasn't here for this, but I'm assuming you might have gone over it. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 7, and I think it's through. Verse 8 says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, and all of Judea and Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. So I'm th- I think that's he's talking about that. not just the Holy Spirit comes and goes through, you know, in you, but that He comes and, you know, he, our, our bodies are called to be a, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, for a place for for God to, to dwell in and live in us, because uh, otherwise it'd be, you know, like God coming and going in and out of our hearts or out in and out of our souls, um, but no, I, I think, I don't know if that was the, no, the question you're asking. The or? question is, I mean, it's not like, oh, does God just come and go, it's more like, is he more, like, when Jesus was here on earth, he was more specifically present there. Is the spirit more specifically present in these moments where it says that this person was full of the spirit? Or was this person just full of the spirit all along? I guess, I think it could probably be seen either way. Um, I think, I kind of think about the same way that, like, John talked about himself. He'd always say, the one whom Jesus loved, you know, is this, where it wasn't false by saying that because Jesus did love him. It wasn't inaccurate to say that this is the one that Jesus loved because he did love him. He just put that title, you know, referred to himself by that name, which doesn't mean that he didn't love other people, but in the same way that I think it's the Holy Spirit giving him that boldness in that moment where it wasn't just Peter acting on Peter's own will or Peter's own objective. It was the Holy Spirit was working in him and through him, and Peter had to allow that to happen. Peter was the the vessel of the Holy Spirit there. Yeah, it's like, you're not ever not, it's not that the Holy Spirit ever leaves you, but 
there's almost a situational outpouring of like God's like, all right, I need to use you in this specific situation. And so he just like overwhelms you with the spirit and like uses you in that way with like a almost like a greater outpouring. Yeah. I think in the same way that at times you're gonna feel convicted by the Holy Spirit that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't in us before, but in that moment the Holy Spirit is moving. Sadducees and Pharisees are like stuck. They're like, we can't do this, and we can't do that. Like, well, we can't. We can't deny that it didn't happen because everyone just saw it happen. And we can't. Well, what was the other way? Like, we basically we can't deny that it happened, or there'll be a riot. And you know, they all just saw it, <clears throat> but we can't say that we believe that it happened otherwise like we lose all of our credibility and everything that we believe in so Gene and I just brainstorming just and someone being like I know let's just tell them to shut up and stop talking <laughs> they're like that's a great that <laughs> like, awesome idea, man. you're right we can't we can't say that it didn't happen and we can't say that it happened so let's just tell them to stop talking about it and just ignore it like this is genius but like, guys We've won. We're gonna get them. We got the upper hand here, and and they're and they're they tell them like, um, you guys uh, can never again speak or preach in the name of Jesus. And their response is, do you think God wants us to obey you or Him? And then they're stuck again. Dang it! That took all of our brain power to come up with that idea, and they just shot it down. So they threaten them again. And then they let them go because they didn't know how else to punish them without starting a riot. That's not when it happens. So. Yeah, so now that we've we've gotten it, I kind of want to read through just all of what Peter says. So, like, they say, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Like, kind of a banger quote right there. <laughs> like, he, he really kind of lays it all out uh, at that moment. And he's, to, to your point earlier, he's not just saying this to these guys. He's saying this to everybody. There's a whole crowd around here at this point. And the, we learn later, the crippled dude's just like standing there on the side, not crippled anymore. And they're like, all right, we can't. He's right there. Like, we can't do it right in front of him. Um, and so they're trying to figure out what to do about it. But because of even Peter's very first line, like, hey, I'll, I'll set the record straight right here. Like, you're asking who the name is. I could just give you a, a two-word simple answer, Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, the guy that, like, just got healed in his name, yeah, that was Jesus Christ of Nazareth to give you all the details you possibly could want. Also, by the way, we're having a prayer meeting down the road when we've done this. Like, that's basically what he's doing, kind of like advertising, like, hey, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Um, and then when it comes to, they're like, all right, well, we got to obviously wait till things quiet down. Then we'll bring them back and tell them, hey, just shut up. Um, so it, God has a habit of doing that in our lives when we, when we, are really worried about the optics of something or something like that. He has a habit of pinning us in a corner and asking us a question that we really can't answer any other way other than, oh yeah, right, Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and we have no other option but to just worship him. Yeah. Started out looking like a pretty bad situation with Peter and John. They were on trial before the same court of people that sent Jesus to crucifixion. They're they're facing the same people now. It was meant for great evil to kind of shut down the gospel, stop the spreading of the word of Jesus. But when it was all over, you can see some of the results of what happened through this. Two thousand plus more people were saved and, and believed in Jesus. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit again. Peter got to preach to uh, preach about Jesus to the leaders of, of the Jews. Hostile examiners confirmed the miraculous healing. The enemies of Jesus were confused. Peter and John were bolder for Jesus than ever before. And God was glorified. It said at the end there of what we just read, for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign and the healing of the man. So, at the end of all that, Jesus, God was glorified, which was the opposite of the intent of what was to happen here. It's, it's cool to see also what the Jewish leaders didn't do. They didn't make any attempt to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. They had no evidence to say that it didn't happen. And if it were possible to do so, to disprove that it ever happened, they would have done so at this point in time. They would have shut it down. There was a, there was a trial. 
they had evidence, this would have been the time to bring it up. They didn't. They didn't want to proclaim it. They didn't want to reject it. They could have rejected it if they wanted to. It's kind of cool how it's kind of like a trump card because like they're doing the miracles that it's clearly like a good thing they, like they just healed this guy and then like and they're also saying it was Jesus Christ and he was resurrected and it's like if God wasn't pleased with them saying that then why would God give them the power to heal this man that's kind of like the biggest thing it's kind of like a really cool trump card it's like I'm praising Jesus I'm saying Jesus is resurrected he's follow him he's, he's going to save your life heals a guy, and it's like, well, well, only God can do that. It's like, I think that's just cool. Yeah. Because, like, they really can't. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going through, like, their minds. Like, and, like, how they keep, I think it's just weird, like, how they're like, well, how are we going to trick the people to not like that? Like, why do they not want them to like that? Like, it's clearly God working. And then you don't, I don't know, I just wonder, like, um. There's, well, question for you guys. I talked about this uh, during Acts chapter 1, and it's probably brought up once or twice since then. The first part of Acts is about who? Who's kind of like the main character? Peter. 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 Who's the main character in the second part of Acts? Paul. Paul. So, we have all these different groups and people, some specific people, Caiaphas, all these people mentioned, groups of people, Sadducees, Pharisees, leaders of religious law, that are mentioned here during this trial. There's a connection point that may or may not be true. It, it, there's there's supporting evidence toward it, but Luke probably found the Luke, the author of Acts, probably found out what the Sanhedrin discussed amongst themselves. Because they're talking about Luke, Luke writes here about like the Sanhedrin is you know discussing with each other about like you know like we can't deny it. So it's like how how did he know this? He probably found out what the Sanhedrin discussed among themselves because a member of the Sanhedrin later became a Christian. If we had to guess, who do we think that might be? Paul. Saul of Tarsus. Later, name changed to Paul. If we look at Acts 26, verse 10, actually 9 and 10. If you want to turn there for a second, can, otherwise I'll read it. Spoilers. It is a little bit of a spoiler. This is this is for, for six months, months from now. He <laughs> <laughs> said twenty six verses nine. Just imagine like you're watching a movie. Sometimes you have like a flashback and you see like something that happened before. This is like a flash forward and you're like, wait, what's happening? Did this? Oh, it's a flash forward. But it's a flash forward <laughs> to something called flashback. Like it's like Back to the Future. It's like Minority Report. It'd be like previously on or <laughs> coming up. <laughs> so I'm going to read Acts chapter 26, verse 9 and 10. This is Paul talking here. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers, or Jesus of Nazareth, to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them while they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. That's, that's, what, that's what he did under the name of Saul of Tarsus before Jesus had the encounter with him. So using that kind of supports that 
Saul was most likely part of the Sanhedrin. And he, you know, we know about Saul's story later that he, you know, Jesus met him on the road, got blinded, and it was like, and Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, Jesus? And he's like, yup. <laughs> and then from there, then, you know, a few days later, he got his eyesight back, and, and then from there, he came to write almost the rest of the book. Almost all of the New Testament was then written by the one who was the most aggressively persecuting the name of Jesus. So, if that's true, that Saul was on the Sanhedrin, that means that Saul was part of the, the decision to send Jesus to the cross. And if that's true, we can say that Peter and John had no idea that they were preaching to a future apostle and the greatest missionary the church would ever see. All that to say, an example, if it is an example of the truth that we have no idea how greatly God can use us. Peter and Paul had no idea that they're talking to someone who will eventually become probably say the greatest missionary of all time, the greatest one who spread the name of Jesus of all time. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was the one who persecuted Jesus the hardest. He possibly was even on the Sanhedrin, the, Sanhedrin, the decision makers pushing to get Jesus crucified. And we don't know for certain that he was, but based off of what we read in Acts chapter 26, it seems like he was. He doesn't clearly say, I was on the Sanhedrin, but he says, I was authorized by the religious leaders, and I was there sending people to prison, which is what the Sanhedrin did. So you never know who you're talking to. You, we have co-workers, we have family members, we have friends, we have random people that we encounter on the streets and the stores as we're going about our day-to-day -day lives. And we think, sometimes we incorrectly think, this person's too far gone. This person, there's no hope left for this person. They, you don't know this person. They really hate Jesus. They don't even, like, they get offended when you say the name of Jesus. They just start speaking out against the name of Jesus. They just start claiming how everything is false and the Bible is wrong and can't prove anything and Jesus never existed and it's all made up. That person isn't even as far gone as you would think Saul was. Saul wasn't just like, I'm an atheist, I don't believe. Saul was like, I will literally kill you if you say the name Jesus. Like, I'll take you to jail, put you through trial, and I and he, he killed a lot of people for proclaiming the name of Jesus, for spreading, he stopped people in their tracks and murdered people who... We're preaching the name of Jesus. And yet, Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, God, God can use a lot of things. And sometimes it's little seeds. Sometimes it's someone coming along to water those seeds. Sometimes it's coming, someone coming along to, to harvest. You never know how greatly God can use you in the moment that you're in. So I haven't thought about this until just now. It came to me. So, most of the people that uh, Saul would have killed mm -hmm. would have been Jews. Mm -hmm. But Paul was not a Jew. He was not an Israelite. He wasn't. He was a Roman citizen. He was, he was both. 
Yeah, full. He for, was both. But okay, but because he was a Roman citizen specifically, they couldn't kill him. Correct. He, he had extra rights and protection as a Roman citizen that other people didn't have, which made him less vulnerable for someone else to in the Roman Empire to pursue him yes. and stop him from spreading the word. So his position in the Roman Empire is part yeah. of what gave him the protection to become what we see today. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And it also might have been part of the reason he was authorized to be a little bit more violent when he was Saul, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, because he was a Roman citizen, he could get away with more. Yeah. I don't But also protected, right? Yeah. We can see in verse 21-22 that the Jewish leaders were completely unmoved by the obvious miracle of God. But they responded to the public opinion. It shows that they cared far more about man's opinions than, than what God thought. They didn't they're they're just stuck between a rock and a hard place, they felt. They felt threatened. They finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them. They didn't want to start a riot, but they also didn't want to believe that happened. I think um, it's easy to just see like the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or Sadducees or teachers of the law as just like the antagonists of the New Testament. But we do have like a couple of examples of like there's Nicodemus mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Joseph, who he provided the grave that Jesus was laid in. Um, and we also have a few mentions that, like, that there actually was, like, argument within the, the Council of the Sanhedrin about what to do, and it just, the majority or the, the thing that they decided to go forward with ended up being against the Christians. Or against Christ, um, and I think kind of what we can draw from that is that, like, not just that, like, oh, the world is against us, but that, like, you need to respect these authorities to some degree. Like Peter does, he he sits in the prison and he, he answers their questions, but at the same time, we need to realize like where the point of like respecting their opinions ends where we go like no this is against our faith mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I mean he straight up says like it's it's uh, it's just a great little piece here where he says in verse 18 so they called him charged him hey don't speak the name and then verse 19 but Peter and John answered them uh, well whether it's right or not is is in God's right so whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge uh, for we can't we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard like yeah whether that's right or wrong uh, you can go ahead and judge us for it but uh, we can't help it sorry about your life like that's, that's <laughs> sorry about it is what it is You're gonna have to kill us said they couldn't just say that Jesus wasn't resurrected like part of that was just that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have to like 
kill each other before. Yeah. Yeah. Right, they, yeah. they'd go at yeah. each other. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't <laughs> If one of them said, had said it, yeah. So they, 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 their hearts were corrupt that they acknowledged that the miracle happened because they, they said, well, we can't, we can't say that we like, you know, this, this man who was crippled is standing over there. We can't deny it. Can't say you missed it. We can't, we can't like promote it, but we can't deny it. So they're, they're, they're not going to refuse that it happened. They acknowledged it. They acknowledged that a miracle happened, but they're not going to say it. But they refuse to submit to the God who worked the miracle. They know that the miracle happened. They acknowledge that the miracle happened. But they're not going to submit to the God who worked the miracle. People should often go to Jesus directly, but a lot of times they won't. Peter and John here are essentially being Jesus, being the light. Sometimes only Jesus that people will ever see is what shines out of us. There are times where you might be in a situation where, I mean, even still today in 2024, there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus or don't know what Jesus did. And we could possibly, possibly be the only Jesus that they could ever get to know. We're called to imitate Jesus, to be like him. Christians means there's an insult, several of an insult, like a little, a little Christ. And we're called to imitate him, be like him. And if we're the only Jesus that people ever will see or get to know, how are we, how are we promoting the name of Jesus? Christians generally have a bad rep with the world of being, you know, critical, being um, judgmental, right? Generally, it's people who, you know, are like, oh, well, Christians, you know, you ask them, like, oh, tell me about Christians. Oh, well, they don't like these people. They don't like those people. They don't do this. They don't do that. They only know us for what we don't do. But a lot of times, they don't know us for should be known for, loving people like Jesus did, loving people unconditionally. Alright, we are halfway through. We will speed this up a little bit. Um, anybody want to read? <coughs> 23 through whenever, and then we can popcorn it to the end. Yeah, you know what? Sorry, don't take that back. Let's do 23 through 30. 23 through 30. Who wants to take that? Sure. Go for it. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with um, futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Uh, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, and the um, governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, 
great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Cool. You said yes to 30. Mm -hmm. okay. What do you guys see going on here? I think it's really interesting having another example of prayer within the scripture because you don't it, it doesn't always like pop up that often of you're seeing like someone praying I mean like I, I mean in the Old Testament I think you can see a little bit more sometimes but in the New Testament seeing people engage with this um, and seeing how they are pulling through I think this looks like a psalm I would guess um but just seeing them pull back of like this is what you've shown us before and we're kind of using those words again to express our current concerns and just seeking you for guidance and help yeah. I like how the, um, the people responding was like well that happened to you guys well let's pray but we can do that too and go out there and do what you do mm -hmm. and I was like I was going to mention like what something uh, Garrick uh, talked about last week about like not um, about seeing miracles and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I mean, clearly you can pray to God and be like, "Let give me that, mm -hmm. that um, and I know meant for I can go out there and do those miracles as well." So I, I talked about it here. I think it's a very bold prayer. I think it's definitely a prayer that was definitely led by the Holy Spirit. And I think, I personally, I always like, it's like in Jesus' name, or, you know, it's like, I'll thank God, or, but I, I very rarely even mention the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit doesn't even exist, or as if, like, the Holy Spirit's kind of like a, like a side dish on the, on, in the Holy Trinity. And I think before this prayer, like, what does it say? Inviting the Holy Spirit in through their prayer before they pray, prayed, which I think allowed them to be bold in their prayer to God. Like it almost helped them, that the Holy Spirit helped them to pray to God. Mm -hmm. And I think within that, it don't it like it. I don't know. Like I think the amount of boldness you come to God almost gets God fired up. Not to say like I don't know how to that, how to really explain that, but like it's like God gets like super excited. And he's like. Heck yeah. So then he that and then when he sees that, he definitely wants to reward that because then he knows if he rewards you, you're not just going to use it as like, oh, not going to you're not going to be a prodigal son. Hopefully, he'll give you that blessing that and now you're okay. Now they're ready, they're really ready now to take this. Though it also says after the pra prayer, um, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So yeah. was that did that just come after or was it moving as they were doing it like? Does that work? <laughs> uh, we'll 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 get to that in, in just a little bit. Um, I I it was a good point, Anna, that you brought up that that this is a good example of prayer that we get to see again. We we saw previously, you know, before Acts, um, and we see it in John, like in other places too, when the disciples asked Jesus, "How should we pray?" and then He gives them what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. 
our Father, our, our heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? This this whole, like, structure of, well, here's how you should pray. Not that you need to say these exact words every single time that you pray, but glorify God. And then... There's kind of three kingdom pieces. Come, that will be done give us this day. Yeah, yeah, right. So they're, they're making their requests. Give us this day of daily bread as in it, you know, um, and asking for forgiveness. The other piece is is either what God already did or giving thanks for it. Mm-hmm. So holy are you. Thank you for what you've already done. Then the requests and forget, right? Perfect. But that's all in there. Mm-hmm. Right? And we see a similar structure here. We see starting off with glorifying God, acknowledging who he is. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David. They're, they're starting off with acknowledgement. right? They're, they're praising God for what had just happened. Peter and John were just freed from the council who sent Jesus to the cross. They were just now freed. So they're praising God and glorifying him. And I think it, it shows that in our prayers we need to make sure we're not just praying to, not just praying to God, not just praying to God. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, but acknowledge who he is. Let him have that sovereign place that he holds. Glorify him in your prayers. Start off acknowledging who he is. Whether that's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's, it's telling him, it's, it's glorifying, worshiping who he is. Here they're saying, uh, they're praying, O Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, giving Him glory for what He deserves. When we pray, we should also see our circumstances in the light of God's Word. For example, when you're in conflict, instead of instead of just knowing that you're you're wrestling with with flesh, with, with another person. You can look at Ephesians 6.12 and know that you're not just wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness. Right? That there's a lot more. There's a whole spiritual side to things. Not just like, God, I hate this person. They suck, and I don't like them, and they make my life difficult. It's There's so much more. If you look at it through, through God's eyes, it's not just flesh and blood. There's, there's spirit. There's principalities. There's there's rulers, there's right, there's this whole spiritual realm that we're not generally thinking about. Their request is consumed with God's cause and God's glory, not the comfort and advancement of the disciples. They ask for things that will lead to more confrontation, not less. Look what they're asking for. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching the word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're asking to be used even more boldly. Help us to preach more boldly and have more people hate us for preaching your truth. Never once did they ask, God, keep us safe. Don't let us be killed for preaching your name. Put a hedge of protection around us as we go out. Don't let a single one of us be killed or or mocked 
or, or threatened. They didn't pray that at all. They said, give us more boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. Use us to heal others. I like how they also reminded God of his previous things he did with David. He said, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Goes on to say what was inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit, what David said. And then near the end he says, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants. Again, speaking about your servants again, to speak your word with great boldness. So I think he was like reminding God, like, hey, you did it with David. I know you were that God before, and we can be that God again. I want you to do it again. Yeah, I love it. That's that's a very similar theme. We saw that in Habakkuk when we went. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen Ben points for there you go. I love love Habakkuk. Habakkuk is is great. So so underrated. Habakkuk is 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 amazing. But Mm -hmm. a very similar theme we saw in Habakkuk was, God, you had done it before. You can do it again. And Habakkuk was, he had these things readily available. God, you did it with Moses. You parted the Red Seas. You did this here. You, you stopped time to, to let the enemy, you know, get, to give your people a chance to defeat the enemy. God, you've done it before. You can do it again. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a very similar thing that we see here in prayer of, like, proclaiming who he is. God, you are the God of miracles. You are the sovereign Lord who created everything. You, stopped, you parted the Red Sea. You stopped time. You, you confused the enemy. Lord, do it again. Because these weren't the people, so this is already when they're back where? Like, because these aren't the same people, like, of the 5,000 that saw him heal. This isn't the same people, right? That he's talking, because he said, it was like, they returned back to their own people and reported all the, the, the Yeah, so now this is, they're this, back this to is the, like their church, right? Smaller group, okay, yeah. Because of it, because also, like, yeah, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, this is this probably more of a smaller group. So I think this is good for new believers. I was going to say like, this, is, this is a good thing to do for, with new believers. Like even even old believers, just always remind yourself of like what God did. Because like even like in Old Testament, like they're more familiar with the Old Testament. So doing this, I think, would it kind of helps them kind of get it. Like because they're still not old Jewish, but they were still Jewish now with Jesus. And, but I think it's good that he's bringing in the Old Testament. Yeah. Somebody want to take this to the end, 31 through the end? this prayer the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit then they preached the word of God with boldness Um, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own so they shared everything they had the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all there were no needy people among them because those who owned Land or houses were, would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Awesome. Final thoughts, what just happened here? Not only should we focus on the outside of the world, but like always on 
trying to save the, the whole world. But at the end of the day, we can't all be God. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. It's also good for us to look inward in our own church, in our own house, to make sure that we're, we're but the kind of thing is we can try to create like a safe place. And this is like our place that we can come to, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with God, and then we can go and dump into the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It shows their priority. God first, people second, material things distant third. It's also an interesting system. I, I met a guy who is striving to live this out, has been living on just God's provision and whatnot. And the way the system works is as Christians devote themselves to the study of scripture and evangelism, more people get saved, who then in turn, through the working of God in their heart, sell their belongings, which provides for the church, and it's just this secular secular, uh, system, where it's like the church is always being provided for so long as it's always growing and getting new believers. Their their prayer for boldness reminds me of Mark eleven twenty four, where he um, I believe this is Jesus speaking, and it's that and he says, um, and I reversion. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. The apostles were not praying thinking that God's not going to come through and not fill them with boldness. I feel like they, and it doesn't say that, but I feel like in them expressing this prayer to God, they are doing what we already talked about. They're acknowledging and glorifying Him. Their aim is for His will to be done and not theirs, for His cause and His glory to be proclaimed and not anything for them. And then what happens? Verse 31 says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. In an instant, that prayer was answered. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think of, brings to mind Mark eleven twenty four, where he says, pray with the belief that you've received it and it's yours. And I think it's, it's really incredible to see that happen the way it did here. Um, and again, a testament to the truth of Scripture in that if we pray faithfully believing in His name that we've received what we're asking for, it's ours. Yeah. We have to claim it as yeah. ours. Um, well said. Yeah, that's a great observation. It, it was it was right away after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And, you know, if you look at verse 28 or 29, they're praying, like, give us, give us great boldness in preaching your word. And then it's like, two moments later. It's like, <laughs> after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with this Holy Spirit, preaching with boldness. Lord, give us boldness. Preaching with boldness! It's just like, yeah, he answered. He answered, and they had, they, they asked, and God answered. It doesn't always happen that way, but in this case, God deemed for it to be so, and I think that's what we have to remember, in that when we pray, it really is like we have to believe God, your will, not mine. God, your timing, not mm-hmm. mine. Like we have to be submitted in prayer, even in that way, to be like God. I'm asking for this. I'm believing. I received it, but I trust you with the timing of when and how you're going to bring it about. Um, even if it doesn't look like mm-hmm. how I'm praying for it, I believe 
I believe you for it, mm -hmm. whatever it looks like. Yeah. Now, is this more of an account of what's going on? Because I don't want to read this and then think, oh, this is absolute doctrine, now I have to follow this, and now if I don't follow this, I'm going to, you know what I mean? Oh, like, is this, is this an account of how the Holy Spirit moved in this particular church, and this is an account that Peter, Peter is giving an account of what's going on in his church, not saying, no, every church do this. This is just how the Holy Spirit is moving in this particular church. Now, the heart should stay the same in the churches, of course. But he's not saying particularly, no, every church in the world sell, every all the people in your church, yeah. sell everything you have and give it to the church. He's just saying that this church, the way that God is moving in this church, this is how we're doing it. And it does, in the, in, it's kind of like how you try to te teach the law of the Old Testament. You're not teaching necessarily the direct physical law of the Old Testament. You're teaching the heart of God that was in those laws that he gave to people. That's a great question. Because um, a lot of people, so I, I, think about that, I can see this being used as like you must some like crazy radical church somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. My people need to sell all their things. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can, I can see it right now. Exactly. Like, I can see like a cult movie. Well, so from this. this 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 was a radical um, giving that was necessary at that point in time mm -hmm. because the church was rapidly growing. Um, a lot of these new Christians, I mean, over two thousand people just recently, but now 5,000 people are now believers, and a lot of them are kind of just living as refugees from abroad. They, they kind of all fled here. They're starting to hear this, this message, and they're starting to respond to the gospel since Pentecost, and now during the, you know, after this crippled man was healed. And now we got, went from zero to 3,000, 5,000 plus people, 15,000 people, and so it was necessary. People needed food and other 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 things to live off of. Um, so at this point in time, it was, it was necessary. It was critical that, hey, we've got stuff, let's sell it. Like, we're preaching the name of Jesus. These people need food. These people need, you know, money and stuff to survive. And, um, you know, the, the, they were able to distribute it through that. Um, Paul later gives instruction to the church, um, to, to Timothy, um, and then to the people of Thessalonica. Um, and we see a lot of that in 1 Timothy um, about, like, the church should be able to discern who truly needs it, um, about if people can work to support themselves, then he's not truly, um, sorry, if one can work to support himself, he's not truly needy and must provide for his own needs. Um, if family can support a needy person, the church shouldn't have to support them also. Uh, like there are several different things that, um, that the church should be looking at to, to determine the necessities for these people and things like that. That Paul talked to, um, telling Timothy, um, and and telling people um, of Thessalonica that so the first in the First Thessalonians, there's instruction about that too. So no, it's not a call to sell everything you have all the time. If you own things, you're bad. You're not following Jesus. Not 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 to be taken that this is how you must live. It's this is what had happened. The Holy Spirit put it on them to do that. If the Holy Spirit puts that on you to do that, you should probably obey. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean to say use that as like, hey, they had to do it. I don't have to do it. I don't feel convicted. Yeah. Not what that is. It's they had excess of what they didn't need, so they used it to let God do it the way He would. And it's kind of like a cliche, but I think it's like one of those like it's again about your heart. Mm -hmm. Where's your heart in that? Exactly. Matter because you could always have a heart that tries to use it to hurt people. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. so um, 
doesn't say that the church asked them to do it. Mm-hmm. It was just they were. Just that's what they said. Their point. One of the cool things that I just saw, kind of going back to it, it says, um, "Those who own land and houses sold them from time to time." So it wasn't like, "Okay, cool, let me sell everything." It's yeah, like, "Okay, yeah. I got some like assets and whatnot." Mm-hmm. Like, "Oh, Trishy's money, cool. Let's sell this house and mm-hmm. use that." It's not all right. We're just selling everything. All so at it was once. like more so like having that willingness yeah. to, if if the time called for you to give something away, don't hold on, don't be like, ah, well, I need this because this is what gives me security. It's more so saying, God gives me security, so I'm going to trust him and say, okay, if this is what the, this is what is needed from me, then this is what needs to be done. Yeah. It's the same concept today as, like, when people leave, like, in their will, they leave their houses, mm-hmm. they leave their assets, they leave their things in the name of the, of the church. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the same concept mm-hmm. of, like, well, I'm not using it anymore. It might as well go to someone yeah. who needs it in the church. Yeah. I think it's sure. the same concept that we use today. Well, it's not said that these people didn't need any of the things that they were giving up. Though. Like, it was to some degree that they were acting yeah. out on faith. They just didn't, it just says they didn't worry about it. There wasn't a needy person among them because they didn't worry about it because they trusted that yeah. um, God and the system that was set up. I cannot yeah, wait for next week. Oh, man. This game night, actually. So. Oh, oh, night. Two weeks from now, you're going to start off this with an absolute bang. It's going to be final, final thoughts before we close out. I think it's cool that we always look for the underdog. I was thinking, obviously, say because I always not look for the underdog, and I think it's cool that even non-Christians were even like pre-made to always look for an underdog, and just looking for like how Jesus Christ was that person that was suffered. I think it's pretty cool that even non-believers, God has already put that that fingerprint on you to always look for like that underdog or someone that could be suffering. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff, guys. Always fun, and you know, me hearing great things from you guys too. I love it. Alright, let's pray and then we'll split for a little bit. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, these awesome examples of seeing people who who not only just live in boldness, but they ask for boldness. Even as they're already doing bold things, they continue to, to ask for a great boldness from you and not to, to glorify their names or to, to ask for safety or for, for anything of themselves other than to glorify you and let let you um, let your gospel be continued to be spread. God, I admittedly, a little nervously, ask for more boldness in my life to live a way that glorifies you more. God, I ask for for anyone who is wanting that in their hearts that, that they would ask for boldness as well. It's a scary thing to, to ask for something when you don't know exactly what it is that you're asking for. Uh, but God, that's, uh, that's why our faith is in you, because we know that you have it all under control. Help us to, to want to ask for boldness and to ask for it and to be ready to receive it when, when you're given to us. And to not just be waiting for boldness, to, boldness levels to increase in us, but we know that that means that there's going to be opportunities to act in boldness. So God, help us to have open eyes and hearts for those situations as they come up because we know that that it can happen in an instant and just the the shaking of a house from asking for it so god would you would you come and 
and shake our houses. Come and shake our houses, shake our bodies to, to be ready to receive the boldness and to act on it. Thank God for your word. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time in God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.